You're listening to Sound the Foghorn, the Minnesota Wild podcast made by fans for fans. For Kaprizov, back to Zuccarello, back to Kaprizov, he scores! Covering team news, prospect analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, advanced stats, and much more. Back to Kaprizov, he scores! And now, here are your hosts, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Baki. Hello, and welcome in to another episode of Sound the Foghorn. Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Baki back with you for an action-packed hockey show. We'll be covering the NHL, AHL, PHF, NCAA. We got all in the mix today. We have some listener questions to get to today. Should be a fun one here as we do a rare Tuesday night show with the Wild in action in possibly their biggest game of the season tomorrow against the Colorado Avalanche. But before we dive into everything, as we always do, got to check in with the fellas. Justin, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday evening? I'm doing well. I'm uh, about to touch my only off day of the week off day of the week tomorrow so just kind of relaxing getting ready to talk hockey here and uh uh listeners can't see us obviously but it looks like we all got our playoffs beards like starting to go oh yeah <laughs> going for a while starting early here <laughs> oh, yeah. heck yeah <laughs> yep but you know do, doing well doing well other than uh being my busy work week here yeah and zeke what about you man yeah, no, not much different than usual. Just been working like everyone else, uh, you know, enjoying the view from the top of the Central Division for the time being. So it's been pretty nice. Yeah, first time all season the Minnesota Wild have held down the fort in first place, and now it's been a couple days as they just keep finding ways to get points. Unbelievable. Um, and we have, you know, a good chunk of this show will be dedicated to the Wild. But, Justin, we will go over to you next. Prospect update, you know, some various news across the board here. You know, this is, is the time of year where things start to cool down a little bit, uh, but still news of note. Uh, we got to still include it here today. Yeah, it's definitely dwindling. A lot of guys' seasons are over, but I uh, still got quite a few things I can touch on here. Uh, we'll start with Marshall Warren. He's entered the college hockey transfer portal, which is interesting because um, – makes me think that the wild aren't going to sign him because he's going to be a fifth year senior now as it is and um very interesting move about a player that was captain of the team and and whatnot now he's transferring somewhere else so yeah and you look at you know what the wild have done recently on defense you have damon Mm -hmm. hunt ryan o'rourke you have simon johansson they just signed kyle masters carson lambos likely to be signed once winnipeg season is done you have kalen haddison in the system you have brock faber in the system um, I guess, yeah, Jack Peart, um, who will be going, I'm sure you'll get to him in a second too. Yeah. But, you know, if I were him, it, it's hard to blame him. You know, there probably isn't a, right. a real clear path. You know, if, if he believes he's an NHL player, which I would hope all those drafted kids do believe that deep down, um, hard to blame him for, for maybe wanting to, you know, maybe go and try somewhere else. I guess the, the thing to be seen is, you know, 
I think less so where he ends up through the transfer portal and more so um, if the Wild do what they did with Nestorenko and end up moving those rights, you know, maybe that's a draft day trade or something, mm-hmm. you know, a, a throw in somewhere along the way. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it's definitely writing on the wall that uh, his time as a Wild prospect probably coming to a close. Um, but if they can turn that into anything more than I believe a sixth round pick, they would see the ROI on that. Um, higher than what they use, right? He was a sixth rounder, I think. I believe so. I'd have to. He's either fifth or yeah. sixth. I think it was a sixth. So, think anything. Sixth. If they get a fifth or better back, that's a pretty decent return on investment, I'd say. So, all the best to him and whatever comes next. Um, still a wild prospect as of now, and it'll just be interesting to see where he ends up. A lot of big names entering yeah. that transfer portal. Um, yeah, there is. this weekend as well, including Isaac Howard. Sad. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> Uh, uh, <clears throat> speaking of uh, Jack Peart that we just mentioned, uh, his season's over. Uh, St. Cloud State made it to the final eight, ended up losing to the Gophers. Um, he had a heck of a season. Um, he's, he is expected to be back at St. Cloud State next year. Uh, he was also named to the 2023 Fargo Regional All-Tournament team. Yeah, Looked he, like one of St. Cloud's best players. Yeah, and and be he real. played a ton for them yeah. down the stretch. I think in the end of that Gopher St. Cloud game when they had the goalie pulled, they had five forwards on the ice in Peart. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that was, he, he was clearly their number one guy. Um, a lot of puck touches, you know, made some mistakes here and there, but, um, you know, was playing big minutes and I would assume, you know, he'll be an absolute minute muncher for what I think yeah. should still be a very good St. Cloud team next year. I agree. It'll be fun to watch him be the man. <laughs> yeah. Then, uh, moving on, speaking of the Gophers, Brock Faber, uh, season continues. That team has been really good all season long. So no surprise. Um, had a good week with the two assists in the two games to help his team make it to the Frozen Four. Uh, they'll be playing Boston U when that tournament starts. And 76. Then, uh, course, yeah, 76. <laughs> Those of you who know that reference, you uh-huh. are a top listener of this show. That is a miracle <laughs> reference. Well, and a yes. actual historical reference, but right. <laughs> of course, Gophers, for those that don't know, haven't seen Miracle, Gophers, Boston, huge rivalry back in the 70s. Um, pretty much, you know, I don't know specifically, but I think it's well over 50% of that 1980 Olympic team was basically half U of M kids, half Boston kids. And there was a joke at the beginning yeah. about how that would never work because they hate each other's guts, um, you know, including OC and McClanahan who yeah. got into things and practice and all that. So should be, you know, the rivalry, not what it used to be, but some history there and should be an absolutely entertaining game um, with the potential of a Gopher Michigan rematch. Um, in the in the NCAA Frozen Four Championship, if they can get past Quinnipiac, I believe is the other yeah. team in the mix. I bet the golfers fans are chomping at the bit to get back at them. <laughs> um, moving on, uh, Liam Ugren, uh, his team's regards is in the playoffs. Uh, his team swept the first round, uh, four games to zero. Uh, one of their best players, if not their best player, ended up with five points in the four games, three goals, two assists. Uh, ended up being our prospect of the week on the Young Guns page, and uh, great to see him really s- start to take off here. He had a heck of a season, got injured, and then uh, he seems to be picking it up back in the playoffs here. So um, definitely some some awesome things to see. Uh, David Spachek had a really good week, had six points in three games. Probably would have been the prospect of the week if Ugarin didn't have such a good playoff uh, series. Um, four of the points came in one game where he absolutely dominated the score sheet. Uh, brought his stats, he's almost up to a point per game, 57 points, 58 games. Yeah, had an awesome game and wasn't even named th- one of the three stars. I know. Insane. It's, it's rigged. <laughs> but uh, 
awesome season, awesome World Junior Classic. It just so many prospects are having good years, and it's awesome to see. Uh, Caden Bankier had another good week with five points, four games, up to 85 points on the season. I think their regular season's coming to a close here. Uh, a lot of playoffs are starting in all the leagues, so. Yeah, and then Murat Husnadinov and SKA are awaiting their semifinal opponent. It'll still know tomorrow, depending on who wins the CSKA or versus Locomotive game. So hopefully some updates on Husnadinov soon uh, dominating that round. And then the last thing, Iowa split the series with Grand Rapids. Um, first game, they were up, allowed the game-tying goal with four seconds left, and then lost in the shootout. Really tough loss. It Wallstead looked good. Uh, but they just uh, just kind of blew it at the end there. And then uh, redeemed themselves the next day. It was a noon o'clock game. Ended up winning 3 nothing, and Iowa needs 10 points to secure a playoff berth with seven games remaining, so it's going to be close for them. Yeah, which is a big reason why you probably won't, I think a big reason why you saw Sammy Walker reassigned and why you probably won't see any call-ups unless there's an absolute dire need for one um, as they make a push to try to play some some meaningful meaningful games here April uh, and beyond. So, I mean, seven points, ten games, that's what? You got to win four uh, five of the Five of the seven, pretty much. Yeah, five of the seven or get some points along the way. So not impossible, but like I said, it'll be a grind. Um, we'll see if they can, you know, maybe finish this out and get into the postseason or not. Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> Right. And then we can talk a little bit about the NCAA tournament covered most of the prospects that have had a role, but you know, kind of a bizarre opening round in terms of just the absolute shit kickings um, yeah. in most of these games. I think the lowest scoring first game uh, was St. Cloud and Mankato, which ended up being 4-0. Um, Mankato unable to score, as has been much of the story from the rest of the season. And I think there might have been a game that was like 5-1. to one. And the rest were like 8-1, 8-0, the Gophers. 11-0. Yeah, the Gophers at one point were down 2-1 to Canisius, got a five-minute power play and said, fuck you, we're way better than you, and scored like a bunch of times. Ended up winning, what was that one, 10-2, 2 or something. And Harvard got absolutely shellacked. 15 drafted prospects on that roster got their asses handed to them. It was just such a weird round, like just like all these blowouts. And then the Elite Eight featured some much closer games. Obviously, Gophers besting St. Cloud. Um, some other close games as well. I mean, we have our, our field set, Gophers and Boston University, and then Quinnipiac and Michigan um, in this one. So should be some good games, and I believe those will kick off not this weekend but the following weekend. I think it's Thursday. I think they're both Thursday and the championship Saturday. Um, so not this coming weekend but the following. So some time to pair for those teams. So obviously Brock Faber, the lone wild prospect remaining in, um, and, you know, on that bandwagon for the Gophers since my Mavericks are out. Um, but they, they came through as the one seed and make it back to the Frozen Four and are hoping to make their way into the NCAA championship. We'll see if it happens or not. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I think there's three number one uh, seeds left plus mm -hmm. Boston University. So um, I guess I'll be on the Gophers bandwagon as much as it kind of hurts to say, but uh, like I've said, it's, my heart's been softened by my kids becoming Gophers fans. So uh, if anything else, it'll be fun to watch the games with them. But uh, yeah, it, it should be good matchups the rest of the way. And uh, like I said, I think it'd be fun to see Michigan versus Minnesota again and, and Minnesota coming out on top this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, definitely for sure. I mean, like Brett said, with a lot of the blowouts in the uh, first two rounds here, 
you know, obviously, you know, Justin just mentioned three of the teams here left are one seed, so it kind of, you know, shows you that the the best teams made it through for the most part, and uh, you got the all best players of the country, top scorers, you know, Adam Fantilli in Michigan in a lot of their depth, you know, similar to the Gophers, and then obviously with BU, with Lane Hudson and a few other their guys, been surprisingly good based on, you know, what I kind of remember reading the preseason, so that should... Uh, be fun to watch as well but yeah then obviously the local interest like you guys have said the gophers uh you know hopefully i can't remember when's the last time they won uh when's their last championship would have been 2004 then so almost 20 years since they won so mm-hmm. obviously everyone around here is hoping for that and uh you know it, it would be cool for a lot of those guys obviously they have the uh the three-headed monster on the top line which might not be you know who knows how many of them will be leaving for the NHL after this year. So it's a, be a great chance for the local team, obviously to uh, get a championship in this year. And uh, hopefully it's just, hopefully it's just fun competitive hockey. Yeah. And the... and Go ahead, Justin. I was going to say another thing to consider too, is uh, still some guys that haven't been drafted that are in this coming draft that, that oh, could yeah. be to watch like guys that could be in the wilds wheelhouse, even guys like Gavin Brindley and, uh, there's a, a few others I, I haven't done my total research, but I know that name and uh, could mm-hmm. be seeing future wild players in this tournament too. Yeah, haven't looked too far into that yet, but you know, yeah, a, a good young crop as well. And then, sort of related to Frozen Four, sort of not, uh, Western Michigan was eliminated. Um, one of the top college free agents right now, Justin Pol or Jason Pollen, excuse me, of Western Michigan, um, supposedly has the Minnesota Wild um, on his somewhat short list. Um, as of yesterday, so still no decision, but sounds like the Wild are in the mix for Poland at the time. It'd be a great get, a great add uh, for the Wild. He would not be able to play in the playoffs, could help the team play down the stretch if needed. Um, I doubt he would see a whole lot of NHL time uh, this year, just given you know what which players are already seeing the press box and we'll probably be seeing it mm-hmm. soon uh, with players hopefully soon returning from injury. But um, continue to monitor that situation as we remain on Jason Poland watch. Um, and his potential arrival to the state of hockey, uh, we'll see. He'll definitely have plenty of suitors um, for what well, I believe he's likely a Hobie Baker finalist, if not already announced as one. Yeah, I think well. he's like top ten or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it it has uh, feelings of Ben Myers from last year with him right now. <laughs> Except the difference is he's not the hometown kid. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that about covers the NCAA. The last bit of non-wild news we'll cover here at the top of the show. Uh, our good friends, the Minnesota Whitecaps, unfortunately fell in overtime to the Toronto Six in the Isabel Cup final. Uh, got up to a 3-2 lead early in the third. Toronto got a relatively late goal to force OT. Went to 3-on-3, three three, and Toronto ultimately, um, on a pretty nice play, got a steal in the corner. Uh, beat Amanda Levier short side. I forget the name of the player on Toronto. Um, but they get the win. Whitecaps, um, you know, came a long way this year. I don't think we're very favored coming in. Mm-hmm. Knocked off two-time defending champ Boston um, in the semis in a, in a two-game sweep in a three-game series. So uh, hats off to a great season for the Whitecaps. Um, looking forward to to big things from them next year um, as they, you know, have another great season uh, in the PHF this year. Yeah, it was, it was tough to see them lose. They Kind of got down a couple times, ended up going up three to two. Uh, Toronto ties the game, and then uh, they, the Whitecaps uh, were, were tough to watch in overtime. 
I was hoping for a better showing there, but uh, nonetheless, they should be proud. Uh, number four seed going all the way to the show and and being one shot away from winning it. So uh, yeah, like you said, uh, looking for better better things next year, and then uh, excited to see what they can do. Zeke, any mm-hmm. thoughts there? No, I didn't didn't really catch uh, any of the game, but uh, obviously, it's great to anytime you have one of the local teams, you know, go far in the tournament, and obviously. Uh, you know, like you said, Brett, they, I don't think they were very good the last season, the one before this one. Mm-hmm. So good to see, uh, you know, them get back to, you know, the to the final and get within the goal of winning a championship there. And uh, so hopefully they can uh, get it back next year. Absolutely. So congratulations again, and we look forward to what's to come for the Minnesota Whitecaps. Moving on now into our summaries from the week. The Minnesota Wild, uh, another great week, 2-0-1. We'll start with the the lone loss in this one last Thursday against the Philadelphia Flyers. This game ends in a pretty disappointing 5-4 shootout loss. Uh, The Boldy line, fantastic again in this one. Matt Boldy had two goals. Drew Lerickson-Eck picks up two assists. Marcus Johansson, an assist in this one as well. Other goals in the game from Oscar Sundquist, Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, Matt Zuccarello, Freddie Goudreau, Jake Middleton, Jonas Brodeen all pick up assists in this one. Marc-Andre Fleury stops 30 of 34, and the Wild ultimately fall in the shootout. But just a game that you felt from the onset was just, and I think even the players admitted this a little bit, Maybe a team they overlooked a little bit. Um, the Wild were not taking care of the puck defensively. Guys were falling all over the zone. Passes were not on sticks. There's a lot of chip and chase. And a couple times, I think they were up at 1.32 and 4.3 in this one. Immediately let the Flyers back and then uh, couldn't you know, couldn't wrap it up in overtime or the shootout. Um, you know, outside of the bully line, not a lot of positives out of this one. Just a team that looked disinterested in you know, a, a game they almost looked past. Um, it was disappointing for sure. I think Philadelphia had like three wins in the month of March coming into this one, um, or like mm-hmm. three in their last sixteen or something in the Wild. Um, lose out on a what could have what could prove to be a very valuable point uh, with a shootout loss. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it just didn't look like uh, they were really there that night. Like they were really, uh, you know, obviously it wasn't a back to back, so you know you wouldn't think they'd really be tired. Um, you know, maybe just part of it was naturally that you got the, uh, the the first win on the road in New Jersey in a really tough game against a good team that maybe you just kind of let up a little bit uh, for that next game. Like you mentioned, Brett, against a pretty bad opponent and uh, just, just naturally aren't really going as hard. I mean, you could see that just they weren't passing the puck very well. The puck was bouncing everywhere. They, you know, were kind of getting skated around in circles by uh, the Flyers for large portions of that game. And, uh, you know, it's honestly surprised that they even scored four goals in that game, to be completely honest. It just didn't seem like they, you know, ever really controlled the puck or, you know, did much. And I mean, like you mentioned too, Brett, when they did, both times they did get the lead, it was gone within a minute. So even when they were having a good stretch, it wouldn't last very long. So it was just, uh, you know, it was just an off night for everybody. But, you know, like we've also before they got a point. So, you know if your off night is you losing overtime and still gaining in the standings, you know, I suppose it, it could be worse. For sure. Yeah. I, I have a pretty short memory, but I felt like this was one of the worst games to watch of the year and, and, and mm-hmm. like how they played. I, I just, they, like you said, they looked disinterested. They look like they're playing down Philly's level pretty much. And 
Um, I mean, they lost the special teams battle, went 0 for 3 on the power play, giving up uh, a power play goal on their Phillies only opportunity. And then, uh, yeah, outside of Boldy scoring a couple goals, it was not a whole lot going on. It was just pretty frustrating to watch. And then even in the shootout, I don't think anyone scored. So it just continued then. But uh, like you guys said, uh, at least we gained a point out of it. Uh, yeah, I'm just reiterating what you said, Zeke. Uh, if Even playing at your worst and getting a point, uh, I guess you can't complain too much, especially considering we're 15-1-4 and in our last 20. So. Well, I mean, you mentioned the shootout there, Justin. I think, aside from even they didn't score, they just it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of creativity or juice, mm-hmm. especially in overtime, too. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of, you know, straight lines. You know, just I think yeah. you know it's just indicative of the whole game. So. Right. Yeah, and there was a little bit of part of me that wondered if some of that would carry over um, into Saturday's game against the Blackhawks. And while the offense kind of still looked a little out of sorts, the defense in this one much much better. Um, the Wild ultimately come out with a win on Saturday against the Blackhawks in front of a massive uh, Saturday afternoon crowd. I think it was over 19,000 there on Saturday. A 3-1 to one win. They get goals in this one from who else but Ryan Reeves um, stays hot. Ryan Hartman picks up a huge goal late. Freddie Goudreau tallies the empty netter. Assists in this one. Jared Spurgeon picks up one. And I think that actually ended up being the only assist of the game. Um, if you can believe that, and I believe both Hartman and Reeves, uh, I think both their goals were unassisted um, with Goudreau picking up the assist and the Spurgeon empty netter. Philip Gustafson, g- good again in this one, stops 22. Out of 23, wasn't tested a whole lot, just two high danger shots. Hit the net, 1.74 expected goals. The Wild, you know, this game kind of boring a little bit, not a lot of chances either way, mm-hmm. but ultimately the Wild kind of battled through it late, get that big goal from Ryan Hartman, get the insurance with the empty net. Um, and get a big win. You know, I think some people look at it as not a great win, but you know, it, it definitely seemed like they maybe got back to some of that identity hockey again. We saw some fights in this one. We saw some more physical. We saw them be much better defensively. Um, Keelan Addison drew into the lineup uh, in this one, um, played a solid game alongside Alex Goligoski. Uh, but overall, like nothing, you know, too alarming, you know, bad about this game. Just low scoring, tight checking. You know, maybe the type of game you might see in the playoffs. Obviously, you maybe want to take it to a team like Chicago a little bit more uh, mm-hmm. offensively, but certain not- certainly nothing, you know, overly negative to say uh, about this one. Yeah, it was a pretty decent game to watch too. Um, thank you, Connor Murphy, for getting Felino going, which in return <laughs> basically got the team going. To yep. uh, then Ryan Hartman scored the the goal shortly after, but. Uh, no, it was, it was fun with, you know, the crowd and kind of the, like you mentioned, the fights and the little bit of grittiness that uh, the Blackhawks were playing against us in return. We were, we were doing the same and uh, pulled out a good defensive uh, game and, and picked up two more points against a team that uh, we need to beat this time of year, especially. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, Brett, you mentioned – you know, thinking that there was maybe some going to be some leftover from, you know, the Philadelphia game, just some of the bad habits. You know, I honestly, when I was watching the game live, I was, you know, maybe that was just the memory from the last game. I was, and like you said, the fact that they were playing Chicago, I just was, you know, maybe looking back on it now, a little more frustrated than it needed to be. Because like you said, they were very structured. They weren't, you know, I mean, until they scored their goal on that 2-0 in the third, I don't really think Chicago had a scoring chance pretty much the first two periods of the game. Uh, and they just, you know, overall played, like I said, really good defensive game. So, you know, just not pretty game, uh, as everyone knows. And, you know, like you said, would have liked to be a little bit more, 
you know, forceful against a bad team like that and really put it to them. But at the end of the day, they won the game. Uh, you know, like Justin mentioned, really nice play by Ryan Hartman to bump Murphy off the puck there to create his own breakaway uh, and end the game there with about a minute left. So, you know, got the two points again at this time of year. That's all that, you know, really matters is how you got them. So, Yeah, and then that leads us to last night's game, the final of the past three-game stretch where the Wild scoreboard dominate with a 5-1 to one win. Uh, but kind of a we would not, if you looked at the box score, all the advanced stats, you would not have thought this would be a game that the Wild won 5-1. to one. They were outshot 36-20. to 20. They were out-attempted 65-38. to 38. Out-high danger attempted 14-5. to 5. And Seattle held a 3.83 to a 1.79 expected goals advantage. But it is the Wild who come out on top on this one, 5-1. to one. Obviously led by the ever-scorching hot Matt Boldy, who picks up his second hat-trick in the last five games. Jewel Erickson-Eck, Marcus Johansson each pick up a pair of helpers, as does Jared Spurgeon. Jake Middleton, I believe, with his first goal in 47 games. Last one, I think, coming on December 4th, if memory serves. Ryan Hartman picks up kind of a garbage-time goal. Uh-huh. Matt Zuccarello picks up an assist there as well. And believe it or not, John Merrill, who drew back into the lineup, uh, despite having a pretty porous game from the back end, did pick up an assist in this one as well. Obviously, the big two storylines this one, Matt Boldy, who just scored on three absolute rockets of shots in this one uh, for the hat trick, leading the way, a natural hat trick um, in this one, as well as Marc-Andre Fleury, who stops 35 of 36. Um, Seattle just seems to have the Minnesota Wilds number defensively. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I looked back at the fewest shots they've had in a game. It's been 20 twice. Uh, both against Seattle, um, in which Minnesota won five to one and one to nothing, um, and then uh, 38 attempts, I believe, was the second lowest. I think their previous lowest was like 36, also against Seattle. So for some reason, they have a way seemingly to kind of halt the Wild's offense. But uh, shoddy goaltending has been an issue for Seattle all year, and the Wild took advantage of that, making the most of their opportunities, uh, putting five goals in uh, the back of net. Mark Andre Fleury, especially early on in that first period, really held the Wild in that to allow them to kind of open the floodgates and get another big win and what could it be a potential preview um, if this trend continues of a of a one versus eight uh, opening round playoff matchup. Yeah, I know. Like you said, really was Seattle really did bring it to the wild there in the first period and the second, uh, at least, you know, pretty much halfway through that game. They just looked really fast. Uh, didn't, you know, wild didn't really have the puck that much. There was a few, you know, extended shifts in the offensive zone there in the first where Flurry had to come up huge. And obviously we'll talk about him again. Which he was a large reason they were, you know, not trailing early in that game by at least a couple of goals and uh, and really kept them in it. But, yeah, then, like you said, uh, Jake Milton, the nice snipe through an X screen there with about eight, seven, eight minutes left in the first period, you know, kind of gave them the lead. You know, they weren't particularly great the rest of that period again, but, you know, they got out with the lead in the period and then, Kind of just poured it on there at the last half of the second uh, with Matt Boldy, a couple of goals. Marcus Johansson made some plays and nearly scored another. And yeah, just like you said, only 20 shots for the Wild. I mean, it was, you know, think about it from Seattle's point of view. I mean, they played really well, but I mean, you look at, you just wonder how they've been so good this year when, you know, how porous their goaltending has been. I mean, you know, there were some nice shots by, you know, Matt Boldy and Ryan Hartman, but I still think. You know, on a few of those, you would like a save every once in a while, especially from Grubauer. But, you know, that's what – they were nice plays, and the Wild took advantage of the few times Seattle did make mistakes, and they, uh, you know, 
got a great goaltending performance the last night was the biggest reason probably. Yeah, not much to add. I just felt like the way the first period was going that we were on the road to to a loss, but uh, changed quite quickly. And I asked, I honestly felt like Boldy's goals, all his shots were shots that were basically unsavable, just mm-hmm. so good. Like the confidence is just flowing out of him right now and, and something we needed with Kaprizov being out to not just the two hat-tricks in the last five games, but 11 goals in the last nine. And I believe he's tied for the most goals in the NHL within the past month or so or whatever. Just uh, insane thinking that maybe he'll touch 20-something goals, and now we're thinking somewhere in the 30s possibly. So um, just really, I mean, reiterating, it's really great to see 21 year old kid uh, i forget that sometimes that he's he's basically carrying this team while our superstar is out and uh maybe touching uh eventually superstar level himself but uh no it was it was definitely awesome to see us win and uh getting the crowd into it again uh, a second game in a row and and uh of course the goaltending continues to be good uh, both goaltenders are just mm-hmm. most nights playing out of their mind and helping us maybe even steal some points so uh, yeah, just fun stretch the past however 20 games or so. <laughs> um, and I think Matt Boldy would be upset if we did not talk, as he mentioned in his postgame, did not mention the play of Julius Schneck and Marcus Johansson as well. Um, I don't know, this would probably be, there might be two games since uh, there was a graphic tweeted out by uh, most points by players acquired in a trade this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcus Johansson was down that list, but if you uh, put it into like a points per game, uh, Marcus Johansson, who has since picked up, I believe, three or four more assists since that, uh, had the highest point per game of any player acquired in a traded acquired in a trade this year. Um, that's more than Tarasenko, more than Patrick Kane, more than Bo Horvat. Um, and that line has just been great. We now have 12 games of that line together, so starting to get a little bit more than a small sample size. Um, and they, you know, have some stats that are pretty impressive. Um, just uh, they only have 2.01 expected goals against per 60 minutes. Um, among all lines that have at least 100 minutes together, um, only, I believe, three lines. Uh, well, that's 22nd best in the league. Um, a lot of those lines in front of them are you know, more so your quote-unquote shutdown lines. Um, but the offenses come with it. There are only, I think, let's see, one, two, like three other lines that have a higher expected goals for mm-hmm. per 60 uh, than their 3.06. They're rocking about a 60%. Uh, expected goal share 62 depending on what model that you use um, but they've just been phenomenal um, outscoring opponents 11 to 3 um, out attempting them 118 to 110 out shooting them 72 to 64 60 percent expected goal share nearly 60 percent high danger chances um, again we talked a little about regression last week they're shooting at about 15 percent right now I believe Boldy was technically only credited I think with three shots on goal last night um, his other on seven attempts. One of those attempts was a crossbar post um, late in the second. So um, mm. obviously shooting efficiently right now, not totally sustainable. But you really like to see a sixty percent expected goal share. Um, that's something consistent across all the models. They've been playing so so well um, and really giving this team a chance to win every night. And nights where maybe Hartman or Zuccarello haven't had their best. Maybe nights when the bottom six has had an off night or when the defense has been shoddy. It's always seeming you know the game changes. All of a sudden, that trio will have a huge shift, get a goal, change all the momentum in the game. We saw it twice in Philadelphia, and we saw it, of course, in spades last night and countless times uh, over the stretch. So just, you know, who would have thought, you know, Marcus Johansson was the missing piece? Um, And every, I think, fan, 
<laughs> yeah, I don't think Bill Karen foresaw even this much uh, of an impact here. Um, obviously, what they're doing right now is incredible, and Matt Boley's probably not going to continue, you know, at 11 goals across nine games pace. Um, but definitely some confidence just surging out of these three right now. Um, they've been pretty much the only line to consistently control play um, at five on five across this last stretch. Um, just been really fun to watch because it it's you know it feels very Kaprizov Zuccarello like as hey mm-hmm. when when those you know when that line was out there you you felt hey they could score this shift um, and it felt like for all season we were just kind of missing that well if they're not on the ice it's gonna take you know some insane bounce for us to get a goal and now all of a sudden when you see those three on the ice and you know much like when Kaprizov has the puck on his stick it seems like every time Matt Boldy has the puck on his stick now you're kind of on the edge of your seat wondering will he will he do it again uh, so it can't be overstated just how good those three have been. Uh, over these past 12 games since Johansson was acquired. And I think it's interesting, too, we mentioned uh, uh, Jake with, you know, last year, obviously, they tried him on, you know, the top line with Zuckerl and Kaprizov, a couple skilled guys. That didn't really work, and, you know, it's like it's working now, you know. not. I mean, I think it's the way it's been described, obviously. You know, now that you have Johansson there, who's kind of the little bit more of the playmaker, a little more of the passer now, it's allowed Matt Boldy to, obviously, as we've all seen, you know, be more comfortable or willing to just shoot the puck. He doesn't have to, you know, do everything on himself and create plays all by himself. He can just be who he is. And then it's also allowed, you know, act to just do what he does best. He's kind of had to transition from, you know, in a way is a bit to being on the, the grief line, being the, you know, rough in the corners, go, 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 just roughing it up, just getting to the front of the net and picking up, you know, whatever loose change. Those are the two guys let a rough lay from there and it's just for whatever reason has worked really well uh he's you know hasn't scored in a few games but he's him specifically is getting closing in on 60 points this year which is pretty impressive for him and uh it's just you know maybe not surprisingly but you know just looked really good on a scale line with those two guys which is encouraging to see after the last couple of years yeah, I mean, I, I think it's partially, not partially, it is his work ethic. Like, yeah. like you mentioned, like going in the car and stuff, but he, he'll still get in guys' faces and cause those turnovers. And then, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Johansson will make the, the nice pass or use his speed to, to hit Boldy for these open shots that he's been getting. And it's just worked really well with those three. Yeah, and then I think the other thing to be remiss, we talk a lot about Philip Gustafson on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, one player we, you know, one of the goals we haven't talked quite as much about is Marc Andre Fleury, who now in his last nine games, I believe eight zero and one, that since his really poor outing against the Colorado Avalanche, uh, in that nine game stretch, uh, second in the league in save percentage with a nine thirty four. Uh, third in the league in goals against average at 2.19. Uh, his goals saved above expected in that span, 8.71. He has stopped 88 of 97 high danger shots. That's a uh, NHL best 907 save percentage on high danger shots. Um, he's just been phenomenal, and, and not to take anything away from Gustafson, who granted has had a couple uh, rocky games, but I mean there have been a lot of the games, you know, the Philadelphia game, the Seattle game, um, so a lot of games where the Wild maybe didn't mm-hmm. feel like they had it from the get-go, and Fleury really held things down early on. And he is, you know, ever since that really poor game where he was getting Bronx cheered by Wild fans, has just played terrific. Um, and I don't think we realize just how good. Um, and then those stats are among goalies who have a comparable amount of starts, so at least nine games uh, since uh, what it would be February twenty-third. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, no, like you said. Aside from, 
you know, eight all in one of his last nine games. I mean, the Philly game was the only one he allowed the four goals there, but he, you know, even that obviously we talked about the whole team wasn't really good. He kind of kept a minute, but yeah, no, he's just he still isn't always, you know, necessarily the most comfortable player to watch as a fan, and we still like did the does what he does in St. Louis, you know, flops into the goalpost to make a crazy save for no reason or exaggerates the glove. And maybe sometimes plays the puck out of the net, makes you a little nervous, but he has, he's looked very good. Obviously last night against Seattle, you know, kept them, kept the game tied for a lot longer than it should have been. Made a bunch of really nice saves. Uh, a couple odd men rushes as well. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just, he's obviously, he's a veteran. He's played in a bunch of games, a lot of big playoff games. So you know, it's maybe not surprising, obviously, at all that he's had this good stretch, but it seems like it's his, you know, he had a few good stretches this year, but it, it seems like this is his longest, you know, stretch this year where there's not one game, there's not, hasn't really been a dud, even the games where he hasn't been fantastic, that where he just said, oh, he looked like crap, he's just, you know, like Gustafson has been for a while now, he just looks like he's in a role. And, you know, like we know with goaltending, it's mental position. And, you know, when you're going when you're going bad, it's really bad. But when you're going good, you know, you feel like you're going to save every puck and that, you know, pretty you'll get a shutout every game. And uh, he's obviously got the confidence right now. And uh, it's it's good that they're both. It's good that he's heating up right at the uh, right at this time of the year going into the playoffs. Oh, Justin, Nick, you're muted there. <laughs> Yeah, I do that once in a while when there's stuff going on in the background, and sometimes I forget to take my mute off. I did it again. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, he's uh, – I forgot what I was going to say. Anyways, yeah, he's been playing really well and uh, even, uh, you know, stealing points in, in some games. Like the Seattle game I felt could have gone way different if he hadn't had such the big period and a half that he did to start off and, and not allow a goal from Seattle. And then uh, even games like uh, the ones against Winnipeg where he faced 48 shots and only allowed two goals. Um, I mean, these these are teams that are, you know, either in the playoffs or fighting for playoffs and and maybe teams that we'll see in the first round or two. But, uh, yeah, he's been really good and, and just as good as Gustafson for the most part, especially in this recent stretch. So uh, definitely a big a uh, good problem to have uh, this close to the playoffs. I believe what eight, eight, eight or so games left. Mm-hmm. So um, great to see that uh, we have two goalies going at one time, really. Yeah, and I think this next three game stretch where they have Colorado once and Vegas twice. I think obviously mm-hmm. one of those two goalies is probably going to play two out of three of those. And yeah. in my mind, you know, if one of those two goalies flounders in you know two of those games. Um, I think will be a good indicator of, of who we might see get the pipes in game one. I think I still lean it's going to be Philip Gustafson. I just think you look at what he's done over the course of the season compared to what Fleury's done. Uh, he's been better. Um, but, you know, we're seeing maybe this slight shift to maybe where um, they've been, you know, more equally as dominant. I think that's more so been Fleury coming around versus Gustafson falling off. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Gustafson had those two rough games, but, you know, Fleury hasn't been, you know, completely lights out in this stretch. We talked about up four against yeah. Philly, um, things like that. But, you know, Justin, as you mentioned, you know, to have two goalies playing really well is not a bad problem at all. Um, uh, problem to have as you head into the playoffs here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, we do have a couple of listener questions opened up the mailbag um, <laughs> today, and I think the most sensible place mm-hmm. um, to start here would be just briefly reflecting back on that Boldy Johansson Erickson Eckline um, 
a good friend of the show, Matthew, at Minnesota Wild Talk on Twitter, wondering, um, I think we can do a two-part question. One, uh, would you extend Marcus Johansson at the end of this year? And two, if it were to be, say, a two- to three-year deal, uh, how much would you be willing to pay um, on that two- to three-year deal? I think the way he's played with Baldy and Eck, you really got to think about re-signing him, one of the guys from trades that, that I think we need to really think about keeping. Um, personally, uh, two more years of the big cap hell. Um, looking back, his last two contracts have been uh, two years ago, it was one and a half million. This past year is 1.1 million. So um, I, I wouldn't mind hitting them up for like two years, 1 million AAV or so, because that seems to be right around where he's at this point of his career. Um, maybe a little bit more, but uh, I'd, I'd love to see him stay with Boldy and see what he can do these next two years and and up until we get some of these prospects over here on entry-level contracts and away from, say, like the KHL and, and, and the SHL or hockey all events again, like Ugrin and, and who's Nadinov, once these guys start coming over, um, we kind of need to fill those spots and, and spots with cheap contracts, and I think Johansson fits that. Yeah, it's... It's tough. I mean, he's he is 30, 32, turning 33 pretty soon, I think. So you don't want to – obviously, they can't, but you don't want to go too long or too much on here, especially over – you know, even if he has been really good, just kind of a smaller sample size. So, you know, I know he has said, as Rooster supported this, he's played a bunch, with a bunch of teams, like six or seven over the last five years. So that he doesn't – he said he's basically that he's tired of, uh, you know, bouncing around. So, you know, maybe – Maybe he's thinking he wants more of a three-year deal. You know, if he wants to go really cheap, maybe. But I would, I would think maybe you know Justin said like a million-ish. I would think maybe two years at like one and a half to two million in that range would be fair. I mean, you know, like you said, he he just got paid. You know, one obviously. You know, we all know that the Wild can't really afford to pay anybody that much, especially with guys like Gustafson and Goudreau still needing to be signed. But I think you know anything in that range would probably be a it would be fair, and yes, I think you know. I think they, you know, if they could, they should probably bring him back just because of the chemistry that he's shown and the fact that's given them a second scoring line. Yeah, I think for me, I think I don't want to jump the gun on extending him until I see what that line does in the playoffs. Um, you know, if mm-hmm. and it's great that they've got the Wild to this point, but if you know we see him go to the yep. playoffs and you know that line, you know, God forbid, maybe only scores twice in a in a six game series or something, then I'm maybe not as keen on it. Um, especially with some of those other options that you might have. Um, but, you know, Zeke, to your point about him, you know, talking about wanting to find a place to stay, at his age, I don't think a beggar can be a chooser. I think, you know, if the WoW were to offer him a two-year deal, um, maybe around the 1.5 to $1.75 million, um, you know, it's going to give him some security. You know, I think maybe he knows, at least to start, he's going to have that role, um, probably in the Wild's top six with Erickson Eck and Bully. Um, you're going to be on a really good team in a really good locker room. You know, I think that stuff can't be overstated. We, we've seen players um, like Ryan Hartman, um, like some of the Blue Liners, Jonas Brodeen, um, Matt Boldy. I mean, you could argue maybe took a haircut at $7 million. Um, I would mm-hmm. assume we're going to see it out of uh, Freddie Goudreau potential in the offseason. Um, you know, players that have taken haircuts to stay in this locker room with the winning team. So I think for me it probably sits at about a two-year 1.75 is probably the high end for me. Um mm-hmm. You know, again, I think that just really depends on what ultimately comes um, um, out, out of the, the, the playoff performance because, to me, that's what, yeah. what really matters. And it was a big reason they didn't, you know, extend uh, Kevin Fiala. Um, and then transitioning out of this question, um, I think transitions really nicely into 
Um, our next listener question from Soda Sports Fan at M Soda Sports Fan on Twitter, uh, asking which players acquired at the deadline do you see on the team next year? Uh, following that up with whether or not we see Kalen Addison uh, on the roster. I think of the ones they acquired right now, uh, the most likely one to me, I think, probably is uh, Marcus Johansson. Um, I like what I've seen from Oscar Sundquist, um, but he's at $2.75 million right now. Um, 29 years old, I would imagine he's probably looking for one more contract and probably going to want to up that. Um, average annual value, and I just think the Wild have too many similar players already with, you know, Mason Shaw, Brandon Duhame, um, that can do a lot of similar things for probably the same price. So I think unless he's willing to come back at that number or lower, which I doubt, I don't think they can bring him back. Um, obviously, it's really hard to say, you know, anything about Nyquist before we see him in action. Um, and John Klingberg, um, you know, we, we already know he was looking for a big deal when he went to Anaheim this year, cashing in at seven and you know seven million. So um, he'll you know if if he finishes strong with the Wild, I'd imagine you know he'll he'll get a good paid uh, uh a, you know should should get paid decent. And you know I haven't seen anything you know earth shattering from Klingberg that makes me think he's um, you know someone that'll be around either. But um, let's see. I guess you could maybe include Ryan Reeves in that. I think they would maybe consider bringing him back. Maybe if you can get a veteran okay. minimum. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. Is that all of them? Sunquist. <coughs> yeah, Sunquist. that's it. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys have other thoughts, but I would lean Johansson the most likely, and mm-hmm. you know maybe Reeves and the others, but it would all really depend on ultimately what they ask for. Yeah, I think, you know, I think uh, Russo might have said it on Twitter a few weeks ago that he he thinks they would want to bring Reeves back. You know, like you said, Brett, if he takes the league minimum, which is or the veteran minimum, which is I think like nine hundred k. On a one-year deal, you know, you know, I'm not, you know, wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it. I mean, he's especially recently played a lot better, been a great influence in the locker room. So if it's a one-year deal, which a lot of times, you know, one-year deals, not a whole ton of risk there. You know, it's not earth-shattering either way. So I think that would be fine if they want to do that. And then, obviously, like you mentioned, Johansson. You know, we are we kind of already talked about that, but I, I would say for me, Reeves is probably second most, you know, likely on that list to come back. Um, but you know, I guess we don't know. I mean, you mentioned Nyquist, if he comes in and is really good in the playoffs, you know, and then because of the lack of games played, then maybe they can get him cheaper and they go with him instead or something. So it's, you know, it's, it's something that'll be revisited, uh, in the off season. But I think, like you said, Johansson and Reeves are certainly the two most likely. Yeah. I basically have the same sentiment. I just think the, uh, it's a small sample size, Boldy, Eck, and Johansson, but if it continues like this, I especially, uh, I think you see him get resigned. Uh, I agree with the Reeves, too. Uh, you see what this team kind of was before um, he came in, and then they traded for him, and it seems like a, a f- switch was flipped with the team and, and their identity and, and just like their confidence and playing playing bigger, playing better. Uh, I think that, that goes a long way. Um, Plus, we need more smelling salt gifts. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nyquist is hard to say. I agree there until you see him actually play. Uh, Sunquist has been well, but same sentiment as Brett. There's a lot of guys that could fill that role. And then uh, Klingberg, I I, I don't see him coming back, especially with Faber coming in. And um, Addison's to be determined to see what happens with him. And I I just think we have a lot of depth in that spot to where he's going to be 
too expensive. And then uh, we already have guys like Favor that could fill that spot. Yeah, for sure. And then moving into the second part of that question, Keelan Addison, um, whether or not he'll be back. To me, it's still hard to say at this point. I think, you know, right now on your blue line going into next year, for sure, under contract, you have Spurgeon, Brodeen, uh, Middleton, Goligoski, Merrill. Um, it seems like a divorce with Goligoski is probably likely just to shed that mm-hmm. $2 million. Um, you'll have Faber in the mix. Addison's an RFA, so the Wild have the team control. But, you know, I think it's kind of, you know, what do they feel like are the other options out there and what their cap situation looks like and how much Addison wants. There's just there's a lot of factors at play. They obviously haven't loved his games at all times this season, uh, but I feel like, you know, in the, in the couple games he has gotten here um, in the last month or so, I think he's played well in those games. I think, you know, his expected goals has gone up. I don't think he's been scored against nearly as much, um, you know, if – you know, it's hard to say if it's his removal from the power play or the absence of Kaprizov, um, but that power play certainly hasn't looked nearly as good without him quarterbacking it. Um, so I think there are some reasons that make him intriguing to bring back, but, um, you know, there's definitely some friction there. It's seemingly between more so maybe him and the coach versus uh, more so him and the GM, but um, I really think it's what, what, what it comes down to is what they determine their other options are um, and if they can mm-hmm. upgrade for less and, you know, potentially if – you know, this is still a 22-year-old right-shot defenseman that has RFA status who, you know, just had a really good NHL season. There's probably some trade value to be had there, and if they get an offer from a team they can't refuse, um, that also, I think. So I'm still really 50-50 on it. it to me, it's, just, it's too early to say. Um, I maybe lean like a 52% chance he's traded and 48% chance he comes back, um, just ever so slightly the other way, but... Um, still, for me, it's it's too close to call at this point. Yeah, I think I I, I don't not think I, I agree with you. It's it's really hard for me to say because we've seen how much he's been scratched lately. Um, but we also see when he's in the lineup what he can do. Like you mentioned, Brad on the power play. Uh, I think it really comes down to, of course, I'm I'm just reiterating what what he commands and uh, maybe at the draft. Uh, maybe a team wants him and, and wants to trade a first round pick or something. And, and then he goes, it's just really hard to say what, you know, how the wild value him, how other teams value him and uh, what he value him, values himself like with the contract. So mm-hmm. uh, really uh, a lot of balls up in the air with this one. It's really hard to say one way or another really hard question to answer for me, honestly. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you guys. I think just when, you know, I guess I'm a little more on the trade Leading, leading trade just because I mean we've seen you know especially even in some of the Roosh's articles and interviews with other media and reporters and stuff like that the vocal disagreement you know with you know the coaching staff about you know when they were saying that you know he, when they were having the disagreement about whether he was playing scared and stuff like that and just disagreements about him playing I you know it just seems that when you have you know that kind of disagreement between the player and the coach and you know, even with his flaws, I don't think, you know, it doesn't seem like the coaching staff will be going anywhere anytime soon. You know, I mean, we kind of saw it with Dean and Fial over the last couple of years. And he, you know, obviously there were other reasons that play in different situations, but, you know, Fiala was traded out too eventually. So I guess I lean, you know, uh, more that he will be on his way out this summer. You know, I don't necessarily like that. I uh, would like to see him play every night, but 
it just seems to be uh, where we're heading eventually, even if it doesn't necessarily happen, you know, this summer exactly. Yeah, I also agree that I'd like to see him play more, but uh, I agree. I agree with what you said. Yeah, we'll see. They've obviously haven't been overly pleased with the way John Merrill has played lately. John Klingberg's no. been banged up. Galagoski's had his ups and downs. So who knows? There could still be opportunity um, out there for him yet mm-hmm. this year and potentially into the playoffs, especially I think if Kaprizov comes back on that power play still struggles because um, as we've talked about at nauseum on this podcast, there is value to be had on your special teams in the playoffs. Um, you know, and if the and if the power play can't get going, I think the first spark that you can inject is is Kalen Addison back into the lineup. So, uh, two more questions to get to here before we wrap up. Uh, this one from at Wildfan twelve seventeen. First game of the playoffs. Who is your lineups forwards D and goalie? Uh, we were talking about this one a little bit at the start of the show, um, and I think our thoughts remain consistent in that the top six seems pretty secure. Mm-hmm. As long as everyone's healthy and the bottom six in that third pair D is where things get really, really dicey. Um, so I think the givens, the the top six, top four stay the same. So you have Kaprizov, Hartman, Zuccarello, and then Johansson, Erickson, Eck, and Boldy on the blue line. Uh, Middleton, Spurgeon, Brodeen, Dumba. Um, in net, are we also in agreement, at least as of now, um, it probably goes to Gustafsson. Um, just given, you know, the matchups he's taken, um, the way he's played. I mean, you really, there's been maybe what, two hiccups over the past three, four months. Um, I think to me, he's still the guy. Um, but you know, I don't think it, I would call the least short, but I think, you know, if he had a bad outing, I don't think it would be like last year where they would have hesitancy to maybe go to whether it is flurry or Gus. Um, I don't think there'd be a ton of hesitation there. Agreement on, on those things. Yes, yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah, and then where it gets interesting is how you kind of construct the bottom six. So I think for much of this year, we've seen the third line as, you know, kind of being the grief line, kind of been that checking line, that identity line. Lately, it's hasn't quite as much been that. We've seen a little more speed, a little more scoring with Oscar Sundquist on that line. Obviously, we know Freddie Goudreau in the last couple of years, believe it or not, has been around a, you know, 45, 50 point player. You know, he's had some opportunities with different skill players. We've seen what, you know, the hands he has in the shootout, getting looks, you know, on the second power play as well. So I, to me, I don't think you're necessarily looking for your prototypical checking line. Um, Gus Nyquist has to play somewhere. Um, and mm-hmm. my guess is he originally, he probably was going to slot in with Eck and Boldy, but the way he, Johansson has fit in there, I absolutely don't think you can put him there. Um, and I don't think, you know, putting him on a line with a Felino or a Sunquist is the best use of his offensive skill. Um, so for me, my third line probably ends up being Nyquist, Goudreau, and Brandon Duhame, um, who I think has showed you, I mean, you look at when he's come back, you know, the, the backhand goal he scored mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, um, to me, he constantly looks like one of the fastest players on the team. Um, plays a good two-way game, as is Freddie Goudreau. So, you know, I think it's a line that can still play physical um, at times. It maybe gives you, you know, a slight tertiary scoring option, a line that can keep up um, with opposing teams. We know uh, Gus Nyquist, one of his attributes is his speed. Freddie Goudreau moves well. Duhame moves well. So getting a third line that can move, maybe keep up um, with some of those, you know, top-end lines and still give you maybe a tertiary scoring threat. Um, and then I rounded out with my fourth line being um, kind of a weird one with uh, Marcus Foligno, Connor Dewar, and Oscar Sundquist. Um, you know, a guy in Foligno who's going to hit um, Sundquist. I, di- I just I don't see a world where uh, I think the one interchangeable thing here could be Duhame and Sundquist. I just think mm-hmm. Sundquist is a little more of the rough and tough 
uh, type grinder type where Duham gives you the speed a little bit, but um, they, they did not acquire him to sit him in the press box in the playoffs. Um, so he will play. Um, I, you're not sending Felino. Um, so ultimately it comes down to which of um, Shaw, Dewar, Reeves stay in the lineup, in my mind, because um, I don't think Duham has earned a spot in the press box either the way he's played. So, uh-huh. And to me it comes down to, you know, of, the, of that group, Connor Dewar is the center, and his role in the penalty kill is too important. Um, I think Mason Shaw has absolutely made a case, uh, but I just don't know of that top 12 who you could take out. Um, and Reeves, you know, now banged up as well. Um, you know, if if they need to inject him in the lineup, I think they would, but we've seen, you know, fighting pretty much doesn't exist in the playoffs. Um, yep. And I think, you know, a guy like Felino, Duhame, you know, Dewar, Sunquist, Middleton, uh, those types of guys can rough it up and play that physical that physical, but um, that's kind of the way I lean. I don't know if you guys have. So to recap, uh, I have Nyquist, Goudreau, Duhame, and then Felino, Dewar, Sunquist uh, as my fourth line. Uh, would you guys do anything differently there? Uh, what are your thoughts on the forward groups? Honestly, my third and fourth line are exact. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, like you mentioned, Dewar's penalty killing is is too valuable. Him and Shaw are great together on the penalty kill, but I think he's the one that really drives that combo um that's kind of his specialty uh i like duhame goudreau nyquist because they're all uh guys with speed i like nyquist skill uh they can be the speed line and then if you need to play a heavier line uh maybe inject some energy some hits uh doer felino sunquist and get thrown out there um we saw last year uh you know with reeves being out uh, not in this lineup that we put together. Uh, Delorier last year, he kind of became minuscule in the playoffs, yeah. and um, I like was Reeves playing through an injury a lot, too, but, but yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But I like Reeves a lot, and and like you said, we can inject him into the lineup. We can inject Shaw into the lineup if if we need. You know, if there's injuries or or they feel the need to do something different, that that's a good problem to have. But uh, I just feel like that's the most conducive uh, lineup with what we put together here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I pretty much think almost exactly the same as you guys as well. I mean, you mentioned it too, just about the third line. If they, you know, like we've talked about, if they just swap Nyquist in for Sunquist on that line, depending on how obviously how healthy he is, I think that's a pretty good balance of you know, as Brett mentioned with Duham, the the speed and the forechecking ability, ability to play hard. Obviously, with Goudreau, who's a pretty decent skater and a great two-way player who, you know, is a competent player with the puck and, and can make plays happen. Obviously, Nyquist adds a little bit more skill to that line to a little bit of a two-way game, too. So that's a I think that's an intriguing combination to see, you know, if the chemistry would work there and uh, just, you know, make it a little bit more deeper. And then, obviously, you know, as you guys talked about, the fourth line, it's pretty much just a given, even if you just go based on, what we've seen all year, uh, Dewar will be the guy in and Shaw will be the guy out. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But obviously, I mean, we've talked about this a bunch of times. You know, we, they've seen injuries recently and, you know, there can just be bad play. So that's why it's uh, it's good. They've got about two or three extra guys sitting out waiting to play. I mean, you even got guys I mean, like a, Sam. A, a, a Shaw steel Reeves is probably a, you know, that's probably a fourth line that's on most fine. playoff teams. Yeah. So they got they got options if uh, if injury or poor performance necessitates it, but I, I agree with you guys. I think that's probably their best forward lineup right now. Yeah, and another thing that makes me lean toward that third line more so staying intact is I think you know I think there's probably a clear opportunity maybe at this time to maybe put Brandon Duhame where Marcus Fleno's been playing. 
uh, mm-hmm. alongside Hartman and Zuccarello, but it's seemingly that they've been kind of almost putting Felino there as the placeholder in a way with maybe not wanting to break up, you know, what's working on those other three lines. He's just kind of been, you know, that, that odd man out. Um, so to me, that means, hey, we like what we've seen from from that third line. But um, again, I don't think they paid the price they did on Nyquist to <laughs> stick him in. And a guy like that isn't a fourth line player, so he has to fit in somewhere. Um, so I, I will I will preface this. I think regardless of the rest, I think Nyquist and Goudreau are two thirds of that third line, virtually mm-hmm. guaranteed. And then how you know they they roll in the the remaining you know six guys in those final four spots. Felino was probably in there. Um, I don't, you know, maybe, is it Felino, Goudreau, Nyquist? I just, I don't love that. I just don't think his play style much. I think if you can just tell Felino to, hey, your job in the playoffs is going to be to go hit guys, get under guys' skin, and play good defense. You know, Connor Dewar never really has been much of an offensive guy. Um, Oscar Sundquist, you know, a good two-way game. I just think you look at what you want the lines to achieve. I think it blends better that way, uh, but that'll be yet to be seen, but... Um, and I, and honestly, I just I don't think Felino has played particularly well, you know, the past couple months. No, and granted, he's found you know he's found the back net a couple times, but we just haven't seen you know, as much of that you know dynamite. And obviously, he's been fighting through in, in, injuries all year long, but I just don't think he's played worthy of top nine um, necessarily as well in my mind. Yeah, no, it's. Uh... I mean, obviously, like you said, he he'll probably be in there just because you know his. They're not going to scratch him. <laughs> yeah, he's a captain, so he's not going to be out. But yeah, no, they're gonna. You know, obviously, he's been hurt, so that you know he's just never really gotten the chance to really put it together. But you know, hopefully, I mean, we've seen him play that playoff style game before, so hopefully, you can uh, you know get that back and get uh, ready. Yeah, and then the last debate comes down to kind of what that third pairing defense looked like. Obviously, it seems mm-hmm. like Klingberg's spot uh, pretty safe. You know, uh, uh, battling through injury right now sounds like uh, there's a chance he could return uh, as soon as tomorrow against Colorado. So it doesn't seem like anything long term. Um, I think earlier in the year it seemed like John Merrill was the pretty safe play there, but you look. I think all of a sudden now Alex Goligoski has played. I think 21 or 22 straight games. We've seen. Merrill, I think, missed with a sickness once, with an injury, maybe somewhere in there. He was healthy scratched the other night. Um, so there's clearly some things they haven't liked there. Um, so part of me leans maybe now it might be a, a Goligoski-Klingberg. Um, you know, Merrill's, they asked this guy, you know, play big, but all of a sudden, uh, you know, Klingberg has the size. And I think you look at a, you know, Goligoski and Klingberg have history of playing together as the top pair. Uh, in Dallas a couple years back, so there's familiarity there. Two guys that can move the puck well um, and maybe keep up, especially if you know you are looking at a third line with Nyquist, Goudreau, Duhame. Now you have three lines that can skate that can move. If you can get a third pairing, you know, in addition to your your you know your 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 pairing with Spurgeon, your pairing with Brodine, three lines that can move the puck. All of a sudden, that makes you a team now with kind of another added element. No matter who's on the ice, um, all of a sudden you have a puck moving, a speed element. So I maybe lean a little bit more that way. Um, with Goligoski Klingberg, um, I'd love to see Kalen Addison in there, but I just know in my head that's not going to happen <laughs> unless somebody is hurt. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think uh, you know I mean, we talked about this before the show, like you mentioned, and it seemed like up until recently, you know, I was you know assuming that Merrill would be in just because you know he's kind of had the seemingly long leash all year, but like you said, they've you know for just have recently kind of 
soured on his game. And obviously, you know, Golgowski has not been fantastic, but he has played, I think, a bunch of good games in a row now after sitting a lot this year. And, you know, he maybe hasn't put up a ton of points, you know, at his age, but he still, as you mentioned, Brett, he can move the puck a little bit better. And he's not, you know, at least from what I can tell, visibly struggled, uh, you know, in his own end as much as Merrill has this year. And obviously Klingberg, you know, like you mentioned with Sunquist, he's a guy they went out and acquired. So he's almost certainly going to be, you know, in the lineup, uh, in playing in that role for sure. So, you know, again, again I think, you know, like you said, you could make the argument about Addison, but I think it's, uh, that's a, I think that's a solid pair. You know, a couple of veterans who both have, pretty decent playoff experience, especially Klingberg, who's performed there. So, you know, hopefully you can, you know, uh, get, get those guys out there and then hopefully they, you know, aren't, you know, that would mean, I don't know, hopefully they can be solid enough and provide maybe a little bit more uh, puck moving offensive ability there to the back end. Yeah, I have the <clears throat> same pairing on my list, Klingberg, Goligoski. Uh, like just reiterating, they won't have traded for Klingberg to just not play him in the playoffs. Plus, he can uh, play on the power play. I know we could have Spurgeon on power play one if we wanted, but uh, we've seen Klingberg put there, especially with uh, Addison not in the lineup. Um, and like you guys said, uh, Merrill's game hasn't been very good lately. I mean, turnovers and, and kind of getting blown past at times. Uh, I, I think Golgoski is the best option right now. Um, I'll reiterate, uh, I want to see Addison, but uh, we all kind of, see the writing on the wall there. Um, so I, I think we're all pretty much in agreement with uh, the full lineup here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll say this too. I think the final you can look at um, too is, you know, we. I think Goligoski gives you a little more option-wise. Their time on ice when it comes to the penalty kill, uh, if you break it down and, and break it into per 60 minutes played, uh, very comparable. They're both playing about a minute a game. On the kill, uh, Goligoski obviously has some utility. If you maybe want to throw him on your second power play, I don't think he plays there unless you have injury. But um, then you just look at it. You know, he Goligoski on the year, I you know his shot attempt differential, his Corsi percentage, six percent higher than Merrill's at fifty three percent. The Wild have fifty two percent of their shots with Goligoski on the ice at five on five, just forty six percent for Merrill. Uh, Goligoski, 51.5% expected goals. Merrill, 47.5%. Um, so, you know, just across the board, Goligoski, just kind of better better numbers. The only thing hurting Goligoski is his PDO, um, just a 5% on ice shooting percentage, 90% save percentage, where Merrill's getting closer to a uh, 100%, um, mm-hmm. getting more often bailed out by his goalies, 2% higher, more saves, and 2% higher on ice shooting percentage. It's really the only thing separating these two. It's more so than good luck versus bad luck with one or the other. So both can play the left side. So um, I think, you know, when when and if Klingberg comes back um, tomorrow night, I think to what we see there I think might be a good indicator of at least mm-hmm. what's in their mind right now. And, you know, maybe they'll experiment down the stretch a little bit. Um, you know, maybe Brock Faber gets some run in there too. No, maybe it's neither. Maybe it's Brock Faber with, with John Klingberg. I mean, who knows? <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm not going to rule anything out. Right. So, um, yeah, again, but when your two players in the press box on defense are, you know, or three are Keon Addison, Brock Faber, and one of Alex Galagoski or John Merrill, not, you know, not the worst yeah, thing in the yeah, world. Are not even game breakers? No, but, you know, I think there are many teams in the league who would, you know, like the opportunity to have three NHL caliber defensemen ready to go, 
uh, in the press box in the event of an injury. Um, and then moving on to our final listener question that we'll get to tonight. Uh, this one from at Russo's Mentions Cleaner at Mentions Cleaner on Twitter. Uh, asking with the depth and strength of the prospect pool, what do you think of the possibility that the Wild will trade up in the first round to select one of the big four if they slip? Uh, the big four, I'm assuming, are Bedard, Fantilli, Mitchkoff, and... Leo Carlson, uh, Leo probably. Leo Carlson, yeah. Um, I don't see anyone being stupid enough. Yeah, I to, mean, uh, yeah. of those <laughs> three, I think the only one with a chance to fall is probably Mitchkoff, and yeah. the, maybe the furthest he falls is like seven or eight. Um and I just don't see the Wild using assets to go through a Kirill Kaprizov or Danilo Yurov situation or Murat Huzdina situation over again for the fourth time. Um, and Justin, as you said, I just don't think any team is going to be willing to move down. Um, I mean, these are three to four borderline. I mean, two of these guys are probably generational with Bedard Amichkov and then, you know, Leo Carlson um, and Adam Fantilli, you know, you can maybe throw Fantilli in that first group too. Um, you know, I just don't see teams passing on that opportunity to maybe have two first round picks or, you know, I don't think outside of Rossi or Volstead that, you know, any of the wild prospects are even close to what any of these guys can be. Now, could they maybe move up, you know, like we saw the one year um, where they trade with Edmonton to move up, you know, one or two spots, depending where they finish. Absolutely. Um, if there's a guy they like, you know, maybe in the mid-teens, could they try to move up there? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't doubt that. But um, I don't see for, foresee any teams trading out of the top 10 this year and maybe even the top 15. I mean, this is, you know, arguably just as strong, if not a better draft class than, than the 2015 class where, of course, you know, McDavid, Eichel, yeah. um, and mm-hmm. so many others were taken. It's, it's going to take a lot, I think, to move up, and I just I don't think that's a price worth paying. Um, unless there's a prospect they really, really, really like and know for a fact will be there. Yeah. Yeah. I, any one of those four guys any other year uh, would go number one in the draft if it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't Connor Bedard's year. Um, <laughs> so there's a, a lot of teams that are going to get uh, really good players, at least on paper and on video, it looks like. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see a, a scenario where we're able to move up that far, even if those players fall, teams aren't going to be like, "Oh, Mitchkov fell to us, but the Wild want to give us these two, three pieces, and yeah. and then we don't have a draft chance to draft Mitchkov." Uh, I, I think they'd go ahead and take Mitchkov and take that chance with him. Uh, he's just too good to to trade away <laughs> that that chance to to draft him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no no disagreement for me. Yeah, crazy. So uh, in those four teams as of now, um, I think that the bottom four are San Jose, Columbus, Mm -hmm. Anaheim, Chicago, four teams that are deep in a rebuild that I don't think maybe outside of like Columbus. um, And even, I mean, they have probably one of the better prospect pools of this group, but Mm -hmm. I mean, those other three teams, San Jose, Anaheim, Chicago, and these are teams that are in full tear it down mode. I don't know why they'd be, you know, trading out, (laughs) <laughs> you know, of that position, Arizona, Montreal, the two teams after, you know, similar boat, you know, maybe a team like Philly, Detroit, St. Louis, maybe a little more likely, but I think if they're sitting where they're at and can get, you know, a top end talent like that to accelerate kind of their, you know, Philadelphia might be heading for rebuild. Arizona obviously is, but you know, Detroit, St. Louis, you know, maybe teams that are more in retool mode at this point or Detroit, you know, probably trying to be in the tail end of that rebuild. I just don't see them 
passing on the opportunity to add maybe that one final piece to their retool rebuild. Um, I just don't think it's likely. So, uh, yeah, that uh, I think that's a good place to stop for listener questions um, and move into final thoughts. Covered a lot on the show um, tonight. Obviously, we talked about the next three games. Absolutely massive. Um, Colorado um, tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Vegas in Vegas on Saturday, 9 p.m., uh, and then home versus Vegas um, on Monday. Um, and then Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Chicago, Winnipeg, Nashville to close out the season. So uh, you know, end of the season right on the corner, 74 games in the books, just eight to go, um, and some really big ones in there with, you know, the two, two of the, you know, arguably two of the three teams they're fighting for for that top spot in the West uh, mm-hmm. coming up here in the next week. Yeah, no, it, you know, it's obviously going to be really interesting. I mean, you know, basically to everyone's surprise, you know, they got a chance to, you know, down last 10 games of the season, have a legitimate chance to win the division, even if it's, you know, not likely. Uh, they, you know, that it's right there for the taking a potential, you know, top two seed in the Western Conference, which, you know, we saw obviously Seattle's a tough team, but, you know, if they could get in potentially and get home ice playing Seattle in the first round, you know, that would be, a, I think, a big advantage for the Wild compared to playing Colorado or even Dallas in the first round. So, you know, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that down the stretch, you know, with potentially resting guys and if, you know, if they want to, how fast do they want to get Caprice out back and all that. So, I mean, but, you know, like Brett mentioned, the next three games are the biggest, you know, if they go three and oh, then they'll probably, or two and one, and they'll, you know, they'll obviously want to chase that. But if they go one and two, or even if they lose all three of them or something like that, then it gets kind of tough, but It'll just, uh, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see, obviously, all starting tomorrow night in Denver, which should be a really good test for the team. Yeah, I think it's just awesome that we're even having this conversation because uh, at the All-Star break, we were wondering if we were even going to make the playoffs, and now we're talking about uh, winning the Central and maybe even the West. It's um, It's been a fun ride since, I mean, really all year, but especially since the All-Star break. And um, regardless, it, uh, it looks like we're almost not a hundred percent, but almost a shoe into the playoffs. Um, so really and truly just excited to get to that point more than anything. Yeah. And the, uh, the scoreboard watching at this moment, Dallas up four to one on Chicago with about eight minutes left in the third. So it looks like they will get the win, be back within one point of Minnesota Vegas, whoever down three, two to the Oilers. Uh, that one just coming to the end of the first period. So, um, some big games there to watch. And uh, um, Nashville did beat Boston two to one in regulation yeah, time. There so. you go. See, good teams lose to bad teams all the time. Yes. Um, the Red Wings got a big win over Pittsburgh, um, and then the Sharks and Jets are tied zero zero. That one just about six minutes into the first. So, mm-hmm. time of year we scoreboard watch should be fun. Uh, one thing we didn't cover in the kind of the wild news segment: uh, Kirill Kaprizov uh, returning to the ice. Um, not close to return yet. Still sounding like um, his timetable looks like maybe bump back even a little bit from initial thoughts um, mm-hmm. to kind of that final week of the season. So maybe more of a, I think that ended up being like a four and a half to five week timeline, um, but would be in time for uh, Chicago, Winnipeg, Nashville. Again, you know, situation the while they're in, slave in the playoffs. Would it be nice, you know, have one of those top seeds? Absolutely, but I'd much rather have a healthy Kirill Kaprizov than a division title and a re-injured Kirill Kaprizov. So um, clearly they're taking their time with him, but great to hear that he is, you know, going to be returned to skating here. Um, Gus Nyquist sounds like he's been 
essentially a full participant at practices through skating drills. Um, sounds like the next step is to get him in a contact jersey, test out the shoulder, um, and it sounds like he could be ready to go here, um, you know, potentially maybe even as soon as this weekend or within the next week or so. So definitely something to monitor there. But um, And then we mentioned John Klingberg. Um, hope Sounds like they hope he's back tomorrow. And then uh, Ryan Reeves day-to-day at the moment, it sounds like. So um, would be great to get Nyquist back. You know, I think if he is back soon and later, I think we'd probably see him maybe jump into that top line with uh, Hartman and Zuccarello for the time being. Felino probably drops maybe where to the reef spot, uh, potentially if, if that's more long-term. But, uh, you know, great to see this team getting healthy and some, you know, always good to have more good news than bad news on the, yeah. uh, the injury illness front. And I'm glad to see no more defensemen yeah. got sick. Um, but right. it stopped with, with, with three. That was good. I was like, are we going to have like a mump situation where this just like moves through everyone um, potentially, but that wasn't Thanks the case. So um, some good news there. So Kirill Kaprizov back skating, not close to return to the lineup yet. So don't freak out. Um, yeah. So that's kind of my final thought. Nothing else really to talk about. I think we've hit it all. Um, we'll yep. have those three big games and we'll see if our tone changes here. Uh, our next recording will be probably on Matt Boldy's birthday, April 5th. Um, a week from tomorrow, he'll be 22, which is crazy. <laughs> like You look at Insane. the quotes this kid has, the games he plays, and then you remember, oh, shit, he's just, you know, he's, barely, he's still a baby. Right. Um, and it's, yeah. it's got to make you excited for the next seven years. So, um, unfortunately, Matt Boldy was just born seven days too early, um, seven days away from the best day of the year. Um, your birthday which is my birthday <laughs> April 12th um, <laughs> so our next show probably on Matt Bowley's birthday hopefully we'll we'll have some good stuff to talk about uh, but some big games uh, before then so uh, Justin why don't you remind everyone where they can find you and all of your work you can find me at DEACE2004 you can find me at Caprice C with the Caprice of Countdown you can find me at MNW Prospects with MNW Young Guns you can find me at Pipeline UMD with UMD Bulldogs Pipeline Zeke. Yeah, you can find me as usual on Twitter at Zeke Boyot, capital Z and capital B. And if you want to connect with me at all, that's where you'll find me. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at B underscore Marsh 92. Be sure you are following the podcast account as well at Sound the Foghorn, all one word. Both on Twitter and Instagram, Colorado, and then a home and home with Vegas for the Minnesota Wild until we are with you next a huge week for the minnesota wild with arguably their biggest game of the season tomorrow night in denver against the avalanche we will break it all down for you next week but until then this has been another episode of 